everybody welcome to the 292nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage kicking it live and direct ready to talk about the season finale of the portland trail blazers season thank you lord it is over yeah (laughs) that was a rough season for your boy on multiple levels as it stood, Portland ended up 27 and 55. They had the sixth worst record in the entire NBA. It is the worst uh, record the Blazers have accrued since the 05-06 season. So that is a long time. This franchise doesn't generally bottom out, but boy, did they ever going to going two and 21 after. The all-star break. What was, was that, that? Was that the season where we passed on Chris Paul and Darren for uh, Martel? Uh, Darren Williams? Yeah. No, that was the year that Portland actually had the worst lottery odds or the best lottery odds, the worst record in the league. They actually dropped down to fourth. Three teams jumped them. And so they ended up trading. Uh, they took Tyrus Thomas at four. They oh, took okay. They traded Tyrus Thomas and Victor Kriapa for the Chicago Bulls at number two, who took LaMarcus Aldridge. And they traded, I believe, Sebastian Telfair to Boston for the seventh pick, took Randy Foy, traded Randy Foy to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who took Brandon Roy at six. So they ended up with Roy and Aldridge, which goes to show, hey, it's kind of good to have young talented draft picks on rookie scale contracts to as building blocks of your foundation. For sure. I feel embarrassed that, that Oh six Chris Paul, but uh, whatever it, it's all good. It's oh, the end draft. of the season. Yeah. It's the end of the season. I don't need to know much about NBA anymore. No, no, man. What did you have a good for the week? We lost every game, right? And, and it's over. The the the, the nightmare <laughs> is is over. Yeah, that's that's really what what my good for the week is. Like, there's no more following along. You know, at the at the time, you're just like hoping other teams lose, hoping the Blazers lose. You're, you're seeing players play who may never ever step foot on an NBA court ever again. Uh, again, no no offense to any member of the Blazers that suited up this year, but it was not by and large an NBA caliber roster. And it, it showed in, in a lot of the, the results losing by 50 to the Dallas Mavericks, multiple 30 point blowouts um, at the start of the, 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 the real tank after the all-star break, especially on national TV to the Suns, uh, to the Warriors and to the jazz. Um, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be the season felt off from the summer. There was, there was bad juju, bad vibes and kind of followed the team around. And now it's, it's wait and see really. Yeah. I mean, when, when is the draft lottery? May 17th. So lasers are like May 17th dictates a lot, but until then lasers fans 
can just chill out and enjoy the playoffs or major league baseball or hockey playoffs. Maybe, I don't know, but there's other things that can uh, take up people's time to be a fan with, with something better and more fun than waiting for ping pong balls on May 17th. <laughs> yeah. Don't just, just wait for May 17th. You'll, you'll drive yourself absolutely mad waiting for something to happen that you have zero control of and at the moment the if the pelicans pick were to convey it's likely going to be at 11 uh a couple of instances in which it would not be 11 the pelicans could a make the playoffs by winning two games b they could jump into the top four with that pick which means it would not convey to portland or c any team ahead of the Pelicans could jump them, pushing that pick to 12, 13, or 14. But if it does convey, I would say there's probably a 90% chance that it's going to be the number 11 pick. And Portland right now is sitting at sixth, uh, about a 37, 38% chance at getting into that top three. So you're looking at mock drafts right now with Portland picking at six or 11. Um, Anything bad happen this week for you, Sage? No, not really. Um, yeah, no, nothing nothing with the Blazers. Like, they did what they were supposed to and uh, achieved what they were supposed to achieve by taking these L's. So there really isn't any bad. There isn't any, like, they, they, they did their assignment. So there's no negatives to take from it. Yeah, I, I would say if there is a bad, I would, I would say there's still no, no vision for the franchise, like the season's ending and, and we still don't know. Joe Cronin is still the interim GM. Uh, John Canzano had a report out, uh, I believe earlier today that within the next six to 18 months, uh, something along that timeline, the Blazers will be up for, for auction, basically highest bidder going to take them home. Jody Allen's looking ready to sell does mention in the article relocation is not an option. Something that we have said for, um, ad nauseum. Uh, it's a good market. People come out to support this team, win or lose. Uh, it's been a profitable mar- profitable market. And I, I personally don't think Adam Silver will make the same mistake that David Stern did when he allowed the Oklahoma City tycoon um, Clay Bennett to swoop in and steal the Sonics out of the Northwest. That was a PR nightmare. And if you even just look at the Sacramento Kings, how big of a dumpster fire they have been. The NBA has fought tooth and nail to keep them in that location. So I think expansion rather than relocation is more likely in the the near future for the league. And uh, even if Portland sells, I think the terms will be that they are to stay in the Rose City. So there's nothing to fret about. I think all of this, oh, if we sell, we're going to move. That's just hyperbole scare tactics that people like to tell one another when there's no basis for, for that. There's no logic to that argument or that that opinion. It's it's just hearsay. Well, didn't wasn't the whole New Orleans Hornets gonna move to a you know Vegas or whatever for years and it hasn't happened. Sometimes location is really important. David Stern and uh, Silver aren't going to move a team out of the Gulf Coast. They're not going to take the last remaining team from the Pacific Northwest and move it to Vegas or wherever. So I'm sure 
ESPN and all of these articles, all, all of these uh, publications will do something like that to scare and drum up views. But it's one of those things where you just can't try not to get emotional about it. But, you know, it, it is your team. You should. But I, I, I think the risk is very low that it happens. Any ugly for you this week, Sage? No, not no uglies, but I, I have you been seeing people saying Chris Dunn is our fourth point or our, our, our fourth guard on this team? Because I have certainly seen that. What I have do you seen think about Chris, Chris Dunn? Dunn. I, I've seen Drew Eubank should be the backup center. Um, I, I've seen a lot of wild stuff based upon the last two months of Blazer basketball. I, I don't think any player who played over the last three weeks. So that does not include Josh Hart. I don't know, maybe outside of Keon Johnson, because he's a first round pick, they have a spot on the roster next year. Trend in probably, but his contract is so small. Yeah. So looking, at, same way. looking at two of 12 players that are probably going to be back. You know, Greg Brown might be back. I move it. If, if he is, he's, he's buried on the bench. Like the, this was his time to shine. Of course he had to go out there and play like, but if, if you're a fan of, you know, Brandon Williams or Chris Dunn or Elijah Hughes or Drew Eubanks or whoever, I think they are going to have to go to summer league. They're going to have to play well. They'll get a training camp invite. And if they play well in practice and in the preseason, then they will be back on the roster. I think there are too many unknowns and too many open roster spots and too many avenues to enhance the team or just to take the team in a completely different direction to say that, oh yeah, what I saw over the the two and a half months post-All-Star break was enough. I'm sold. Like, I get it that the rosters that Portland put out there were some of the all-time worst. But when you are talking about bringing back players from a team that went two and 21, that is, I I kind of uh, have, have an issue with, with, with that. Like, I'm all for giving them a chance in summer league and a training camp invite, but I mean, there's a reason why these players were playing for Portland at this point in time. Like if they were any good right now, they would have been benched because they don't want to get hurt for next season. And that's just the God's honest truth. And that goes for my guy, Keon Johnson too. Like this was a developmental year for him, but had he been maybe at the level of a, a Tyrese Maxey, you know, at, at, at his rookie year, you're probably not going to be playing him because you don't want him to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like this is like, okay, Keon, show us what you can do. Like we need you to play. But had he been like a promising young rookie, like we saw Cade Cunningham get nights off. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree maybe with that tactic, but that's what, what I'm saying. Like, if you had, I think, a direct impact to next season's roster, you You're weren't playing. The they shut Nurk down, they shut Ant, they shut Justice, and they shut Josh Hart down and it, with the quickness. Like, there was no second guessing that. Yeah. I, I... I think fourth guard Chris Dunn is just that's tough because I think Josh I, I think uh, Chris Dunn played some of his best basketball ever in, in, in an NBA uniform, but it was in a place where he was playing with no other teammates that were good had all High the usage. all the usage all the runway to take bad shots and play hard defense. If he was the fifth guard. Fifth and fifth guard and got minimum contract. Sure. I'm willing to take anybody if the cost is that low, but I don't think that he's going to see 
a fourth guard plays like 10, 12 minutes a game. I yeah. don't want our point guard to have this, this inability to shoot. I agree with that. And I, I would also say to keep in mind, Portland could potentially have up to four draft picks in, in this draft. Mm-hmm. And it is a very guard heavy draft. So you're going to want to keep those players on your roster as well. There are diamonds in the rough that you could find and sign to two-way deals. Uh, Portland converted trended from a, from a two-way to a uh, permanent roster spot this season, in, in, in fact. So if you were to say, pick one player who's not Keon Johnson that played, I, I would say Chris Dunn for sure. Like yeah. the, the player that I don't understand is Drew Eubanks. Like he wasn't really making an impact in San Antonio. He got cut by Toronto. He was the player getting so much usage, so much playing time. I think he is a really good player. Like I think he would bust almost anybody's ass on the street. Like he's, he's super talented, but when you're at the NBA, which is uh, the elite of the elite, like I personally see a, a center in a power forwards body. Like I, I think he needs to play center, but I don't think he's, he's just small. And I don't think he gives you what you need on the glass or defensively. Um, he has a great touch around the rim. He finishes with authority, decent pick and roll player, but he doesn't really have a jump shot. I, I mean, Portland I think there are going to be better options. Portland has their type. They want the big to have some playmaking, playmaking ability. He's got that. He's he's a skilled guy, but I don't want him as my second. If he's our fifth big, sure. But I don't want I, I don't want a, him to see the floor on a normal night. But if there was like a change of pace and let's say Nurk picked up two fouls and we found that they're the opposing teams a really bad defending team from post passes. Sure. Ten minutes. Here you go. But I don't think that he's going to be in the rotation. On the team versus in the rotation is is a uh, is a factor for Chris Dunn and and uh, Ebanks. If, I mean, I like if you would say pick Cody Zeller or Drew Eubanks, I'll take Drew Eubanks because he's cheaper and he stays healthy. And he provi- does he provide eighty percent of Cody Zeller? I mean, I I think he's a much better offensive player than Cody Zeller. I think Cody Zeller probably sets better picks. Um, I was just supremely underwhelmed by Cody Zeller this year. That's all. I, th- I mean, he, he. I think both of those players try hard, and one's younger, one's got a little bit more bounce. Probably one's not. Really. One's not an injury uh, risk, too. Exactly, and that's what Portland did this past offseason. They gambled on players who had injury risks and a history of injuries. And what happened? They both had significant injuries that played a part in the derailment of the season. So. Um, it's not a personal knock on someone if they're injury prone. It just it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if Ebanks tr- busts his ass, improves the shot a little bit, he and he and Trenton can compete for the fifth the fifth big on the team. I just don't want either of the guys that we've mentioned thus far to have significant roles on a team where we're potentially trying to compete or play real basketball players like. We've done an excellent job of having just absolute less than optimal players on this team. So I don't want those less than optimal players to have legitimate roles in a year that actually counts. My ugly for the week 
isn't blazer related, but it is sports related. And it goes to the unfortunate passing of um, Dwayne Haskins, who was uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and just the dehumanization that certain journalists like Adam Schefter, uh, and I believe his name's Gil Perant, were just spewing after this man passed less than 12 hours ago. And, and you're already like, I just think it's disturbing. It's a disturbing trend. Like these players are humans. They're not just, you know, entertainers who are there at your dispersal. So treat them as much. And I was glad to see there was a lot of, um, backlash that those two individuals specifically took for that. And hopefully it makes them think before they tweet or before they speak, because in, in no world do you need to discuss his maybe subpar career. Like he was, he was a son. I don't know if he's a father, but like, like these, those are things that you want to mention when you, when you talk about someone, not that, that they struggle to win a backup job in Pittsburgh. So that there's there's a lot of common sense that that comes from these things, and I just think these journalists just don't have it. And if you want to look at a broader uh, perspective, I think that's probably why there's a lot of distrust between players and media is because they don't feel like they're looked at as human beings. They feel like they're just looked at as, you know, a means to an end. A means to you put it perfectly. He achieved the ultimate goal. He was a quarterback and made it to the league and he won a fucking Rose Bowl. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know college football as well as you, but like he, I, I saw him play quarterback in as as a starting quarterback on the Washington team. Like he achieved his goals. What way more so than Adam Schefter if he had like any playing, if that was a goal of his. So I, I mean. This sports entertainment thing that we're involved in, it's so ugly at a lot of times. That's why I celebrated when Cronin treated CJ like a human when he traded him. He didn't get enough, but he did treat him like a human. So, there's, I mean, it, it's it's a disgusting how we treat these athletes at times. Like, you know, like with, with Minnesota and Russell Westbrook or, you know, this, that, and the third at the end of the day, we Blazer fans might not like Russ, but at the same time, he is a father, he is a son, and you know he deserves to be treated like a human. Yeah, you know we may talk about the players currently on the roster really not being good enough, but there's nothing personal that crosses that line. And to be completely honest, they still have reached the the elite of the elite. They're they're playing NBA basketball. One percent NBA yeah. players like they achieved the goal their goals like. I might not like watching A, B, and C, but A, B, and C made it to the damn league and played and played a lot of minutes because of, you know, what the Blazers were trying to do. They achieved something that I'll never be able to achieve. Like, you know, they can say they played against uh, LeBron James and Luka Doncic and Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic and, you know, all of the greats. Like, those are stories they'll, they'll tell their their grandkids or anybody else who wants to listen. Like, that's that's a damn a amazing accomplishment to be able to say. I, the only way I play against LeBron James is if I play the Lakers in NBA 2K. That that person actually got to be on the floor with a transcendent, you know, maybe number one player of all time. We we only get to be in the sidelines and probably in the 300 section that that. So, yeah, I mean, that that definitely was uh upsetting to see the uh the the non-human Treating these players like they're not human. 
So with the season wrapped up, Portland still has a direct interest or intrigue in the play-in tournament, especially at West. You have the seven seed Timberwolves taking on the eight seed Clippers tomorrow. Wednesday will be the nine seed Pelicans hosting the 10 seed Spurs. The seven, eight loser plays the nine, 10 winner. Sage, you have a direct line to the Pelicans. You watch them more than anybody that I know. With the addition of CJ McCollum, give me a prediction. Are, are they going to win one, lose one? Are they going to win both? Who do you think they're going to play? Like I, I would say my prediction is I think the Clippers beat the Timberwolves. They've been playing super well with uh, Paul George and Norman Powell back in the lineup. They're just more of a veteran-minded team. And then I have the Pelicans uh, making light work of the Spurs, um, setting up a a Timberwolves-Pelicans game in Minnesota. What do you think happens? I mean, the Pelicans and the Spurs are really similar when you think about them. Pelicans are 19th in offense and 18th in defense, while the Spurs are 18th in offense and 17th in defense. So those teams are two pretty evenly matched teams. Um, DeJounte's been away from the team for a while, so that worries me. Like You said he had a, an illness that caused him to lose like almost eight pounds. Yeah. Like, I know that he played the last game of the year, but still, that's two weeks of not being able to play basketball. And then the Pelicans with that starting lineup of CJ, Brandon Ingram, uh, Herb Jones, the twin towers of Jonas Valanciunas and Jackson Hayes, like that's that team shouldn't work. But because of Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum's ability to hit difficult shots, it works. So the Spurs can make this as difficult and as ugly as humanly possible. And I think it might affect B.I. and C.J., but it's not going to affect them more than the awful spacing that the Pelicans provide anyway. I kind of think that the Pelicans are going to win this game. It's probably going to be close because the teams are pretty damn even in terms of like offense and defense. But I think that they lose to whoever is the loser of the T-Wolves and the Clippers game. And I think the T-Wolves-Clippers game is the most interesting game of the four. Like yes. you've got one of the best offenses with Cat and Anthony Edwards and D'Lo and Chris Finch versus one of the best defenses in the league, having Paul George and Norman back. Like it's going to be an interesting chess game between those two. And whoever loses, I think, beats New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, you got to think uh, the way the schedule sets up, the 7-8 loser gets an extra day of rest as well. So if San Antonio does make it a grinded out slugfest against New Orleans and you have to play CJ and Brandon 40 plus minutes, that's going to be difficult to then go into whether it's Minneapolis, a rabid Minneapolis crowd, or just travel all the way to the West Coast and take on the Clippers. So uh, I think that's that's going to be uh, difficult as well. I think. I don't know if if they're going to – I think if they have to play the Clippers, they'll lose. I think they might beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think the, the moment might be a little too big for the young pups. So, I mean, both teams are young. CJ's been there, done that, though. That's, that's well, the addition. CJ. I know, but that's the – he brings that leadership. There's a common – Matt brings that leadership, too, though. 
I don't know. I think Minnesota is showing that. Right. Pat, Pat Bev has been a great addition to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I won't deny that. But I think there is a difference when arguably your best player is that leader versus your fifth or sixth best player. I mean, I feel like Minnesota's had this attitude that they've done stuff in the league, and to be honest, they haven't. So this is their time to prove it. That's the Pat it. Bev effect, baby. I mean, it's time to, for them to put up or shut up. Like, they have two chances to make the playoffs. Do they do it, or are is the light too bright for that team? I, I think that I, I think pe- the Pelicans are much more talented than the Spurs currently are. But then when you think of top end talent versus the Clippers, damn sure aren't better. And then they, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, the best offensive center best spacing center in the league. So it, it makes it makes that team so much more deadly to have Ant and Cat. And if they're both being optimized where they're not competing for touches, like that they, they have a three-headed monster of people that can score where the Pelicans have two and a half. Like I think Jonas is good, but he's not really the popper that you want. And you have Jackson Hayes in the dunker spot. Like for whatever reason, then that that starting lineup plays really well together, but it shouldn't. It absolutely should not be as good it is as good as it is. I, I just looked it up. With CJ and that lineup on the court, like they're the eighth ranked offense. That shouldn't happen. So I mean, if the Clippers get a chance to go out in New Orleans with that piece together offense that's somehow good. Ty Lue's just going to make that make that shit just not even a factor. You have so many long, lengthy, lengthy wings. Who do you think in the Spurs game defends CJ? DeJounte. And then Devin goes after Brandon? Yeah, they've got a lot of good wings. Like, you've got Vassell, you've got Lonnie Walker, Josh Richardson. Primo. Um, Primo, who's the player? I'm thinking Keldon Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then Jakob Pertl's been playing some good defense for them as well. And he's a good rebounder. So it's hard to count out the Spurs because of Popovich. And they just, they have a lot of nice young, young players. Mm-hmm. But it be, with the game being in New Orleans, in the addition of CJ, I, I, I think the New Orleans Pelicans will at least win, win one. A couple of questions for you in general. Are you a fan of the play-in tournament? I think it adds a lot of excitement. Like, I, th- I think this week of plans is fascinating. Like the the other West Coast game is super fascinating to me. The uh, Charlotte Atlanta game is could be really fun. So it, it just adds more more excitement, and for the NBA, it adds more revenue. So I think that this is going to be a thing. Oh, it's definitely going to be a thing. Um, I I would say I think it needs to be tweaked a bit. I think if you finish seventh. You should be safe. I, I don't like the idea of a team like Minnesota, uh, so over 500, potentially not making the playoffs. And I know the argument could be said, well, if they don't win two games, they don't deserve it. Well, they do deserve it. They, they put in 82 games of work to finish seventh. That that should count. I mean, and two games, other, anything can happen. Anything. It, exactly. And the other uh, tweak I would like to see made is if you are nine or 10, you should have to hit a certain winning percentage because you have 
teams in the East who are over 500. And I think that's absolutely fair. And I, I think that the way they're set up right there makes a lot of sense. But you have the Western Conference where you have the Spurs and Pelicans who are multiple games under 500 with a chance to just kind of ruin someone's season. And I, I guess I, I think you should have to be at least 500 to to make that that plan. But like you said, I think it's here here to stay. Do you think the Spurs are just happy to be here? Like they did not expect to be this good. When no, they, they traded, went on a winning uh, streak late in the season. They were neck and neck with Portland and Sacramento for the, that pick. Like they they traded White and then Dejounte Murray turned into an absolute superstar because he got all the extra usage. But I didn't like trading away Thad Young and Derek White. It's like that's a lot of talents, and then they become a much better team. It, I think it's a byproduct of how mediocre the Western Conference was this year. And how the but, Lakers shit the bed. Exactly. And that that played into a key role in the West being so down. I, I was looking at the, the standings, and I, I couldn't believe how few teams actually hit 50 wins. You only had four teams that won 50 or more. And the reason that number stands out to me is because I remember in 2010, the Blazers lost Odin for the season. Brandon had had uh, nagging injuries. Joel Prisbilla tore his ACL, like slipping in the shower. Nate McMillan. I mean, it was so bad that Nate McMillan was in practice and tore his Achilles because he was trying to step in and, and give another body. That team still won 50 games. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, how is that Blazer team winning 50 games? And you've got all these teams that just are slightly above 500. And then I go back to the 07-08 season. Again, that was the year where Portland uh, was in year two of Roy and Aldridge. No Odin, but they were in the thick of the playoff race. They, they didn't end up making it. They were 41-41. and 41, But every team that made the playoffs had 50 wins or more, and the ninth-seeded Warriors had 48 wins. Like, that's the Western Conference that, that I'm used to. And to see it just... So downtrodden where you have the Spurs at 34 wins, potentially making the postseason is uh, just a break from my reality. So um, I think that's why the Spurs are in there. Like there, there's nobody else left. Like the Rockets, Thunder, Blazers clearly want to know part of the plan. The Kings are in aptitude. I mean, they just have, they can't get over their own. They can't stop tripping over their own feet. And then you said it, the Lakers just completely were an absolute disaster. So I think they're just kind of like product of elimination. Mm -hmm. I mean, now that they're there, I'm sure that Pop is going to uh, think of things that could could uh, frustrate the Pelicans. But yeah, if if I was a betting man, I say they win one, lose one. So Portland, I guess my other question for you. Do you prefer Portland gets the let's say the 11th pick this year or it converts to the 2025 Milwaukee pick. I think this year's better. I mean, you Giannis is going to be on that team. There's no way that they're going to be worse. They're going to not make the playoffs with Giannis. Yes. In a normal, if we had a competent GM and I knew we weren't going to trade that pick for Jeremy Grant, I'd be like, yes, give me the 11th pick. I want that all day. Like to have two lottery picks is fantastic. The more I hear about this potential Jeremy Grant trade, the more I'm just like, I hope you guys don't even get that. So you can't, so you just, it's not an option for you. Like just to save yourself from your own mistakes. 
I think there is some value in that 2025 pick. Now, do I think it would be as high as 11? Probably not. But there are a couple of reasons why I do believe that could have some some value. First, you've got Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, both in their, their early 30s. Three years from now, who knows what that team looks like? Yes, they still probably will have Giannis, and that will be good enough to make the playoffs. But they invested a lot of assets in to Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So obviously it paid off. They got their championship. We're talking, you know, three years down the road. So teams could look a lot different. Maybe I don't want to wish injury on anybody. Maybe Giannis gets hurt. And then you have a really good, good pick. The second thing that I think is a little bit more interesting is that Damian Lillard's contract is up in the 2025 offseason. So we know Portland is, they're probably hell-bent on winning with Damian Lillard. Whether you think that's a good idea or not, this would kind of force them to say, okay, we have this extra asset in a year in which we know our franchise player is going to be got 35 years old. And he's probably going to be leaving. Like, I don't, I would hope they wouldn't do the $50 million extension. So then that would be an actual, like, easy way to break free and, and really start anew. So th- there's, I'm, I'm trying to see it like optimistic, optimistic from both ways. So you're not just like, oh God, the Pelicans won, we're, we're boned. No, I, I still think there is some value in that pick. And the last thing, Maybe Joe Cronin won't be making that decision with that 2025 pick because we've seen his his early work so far and it, it hasn't came back uh, with uh, fabulous results. For the next two weeks, I'm or however long it is, I'm just I'm just watching NBA as a as a fan. Like I don't, I don't have to worry about shit until the lottery. So you know we're just we're just trying to see what CJ does against these ne- in these next two potential games, man. I, I'm here to. I'm just here to party and see what happens. I, CJ and Brandon have to have to win two games. One against a team that's pretty will be fighting their asses off, and then the Spurs, I think, are just happy. So I don't know, man. It, it, it's just so many things that have to happen before we think of 2025. I mean, you said something to me. We were at dinner. We were going to see the Ducks play BYU. And you were like, I think the Blazers are going to be bad for a while. Like, it's going to be a few rough years. And I wholeheartedly believe that. So maybe that 2025 is when it starts to look a little bit more rosy in in Rip City. Because I think the, the narrative or the talk obviously is going to shift towards how can we get better? How I, I know they want to win now. Like, it was said as much during exit interviews. Um, I'm just not, I, we, we've discussed this. I, I don't see it. You had four tradable assets, Larry Nance, Norm Powell, Robert Covington, and CJ McCollum. You got back one win now player in, in that, and you traded four win now players for one win now player in, in Josh Hart. Like, yeah, the books are nicer, but you're probably going to be, be just using those books to give Nurk and Ant there their raises. So how you traded your assets and you didn't get better, how then are you magically going to get better? So I'm, I'm just afraid that they're going to get back on that treadmill. That's why, I've, you know, just looking at other outlets like the 2025 um, potential pick and, and just seeing what they do, because it would be really, I think, devastating if they were 
to trade those picks and not get a legit star back. Because we, we said last episode, there are some avenues to winning with Dame, but you got to get a, a top, top tier guy. And you, maybe you package picks to do that. And I would be on board with that. But if it's for a Jeremy Grant type of player, who's not even, I don't think a fringe all-star. No, not, it's not going to cut it. And you're going to be, you're going to be back in the same position you were this year, Sage. Well, let's just say like Jeremy Grant's, a desirable player. I know that the Blazers have been the most aggressive in, you know, trying to recruit him, but let's be real. He's a six ten player that can play the defend three positions. Portland's not going to be the only team that wants him. Right. So how are I, we I going I, to It be- depends on what the mark. I don't think any other team would offer a lottery pick for Jeremy Grant for a couple of reasons. His numbers are on the decline. He hasn't shown the ability to keep his numbers with increased volume, and he's going to want that $25 million a year extension for a player who's going to hit that, that magical number of 30 pretty soon. That's that's a scary thing to ask. Not many players age gracefully like, like Dame, LeBron, Steph. Like it's just it's a rarity. And uh, I, I think that you're being a little too pessimistic about teams wanting a guy that can provide a lot. And I just don't think that we're going to win a bidding war. We just don't have the assets for a bidding war. If one other team wants Jeremy Grant services, they're going to get Jeremy Grant services. Like, I, I no hope, way that if I hope they they take him off our hand. I hope it's not an option. Like it, yeah. it's good. I, I think you you've been a little too negative on Jeremy Grant. Like he's, he's not still good. he's still a good player. Not and, at the price point. Well, the price point is as of right this second, Eric Bledsoe and and a first. Like that's a, that's not that much. No, it's, yes, it's I a know lottery that you have pick. To... It's not just a first; it's a lottery pick. It's a lottery pick that's pretty high, and I know that we don't get those very often. But that's that's the thing. It's like we've we've been down this path before. We we traded two for Robert Covington. We packaged two for for Zach Collins. We traded another pick for for Larry Nance. Like we've seen. So are you going to let the mistakes of another person yes. negatively affect somebody else? That yes, doesn't seem Jeremy... fair, does it? He's not he's not a star. He's not that much better than Robert Covington. And he's certainly not worth, I don't think, a lottery pick. Not for I don't think that Dame, Ant, Josh Hart, Jamie Grant, and Nurkic gets them out of the first round. And I think if your goal is to really win, you need to really figure it out. Jeremy Grant, he he doesn't do it for me. I, I think it would be a gigantic mistake of i mean i think you just look at where the roster is now and why we're talking about being so asset you know depleted and not being able to win bidding wars it's because we gave up all our assets and then we turn around and flip them for pennies on the dollar so yeah, i but that wasn't cronin's i mean he, I, I get i get it that he's in the room but he, it wasn't his ultimate decision to make those bad trades no, but then what he showed at the deadline wasn't uh, reassuring is what I'm totally, saying. Totally, totally. But I don't think we should blame him for Neil O'Shea's mistakes. No, but I think if he is, he was in the room, he has been with the franchise, he saw how well, those... You know uh, a junior isn't going to make a senior person, like in any business, like his Neil O'Shea's ultimate decision is Neil O'Shea's decision. And I agree with that. However, he is now in the senior position he has evidence, he has data that has shown, okay, this is what happens when we make these type of moves. If he is going to, you know, reassess and make that same decision just with a similar player, 
he didn't learn anything. Fine, but he hasn't made that. They they have not made that 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 correct uh, that trade for Jeremy Grant. Not like correct. that's possible now, but like he hasn't made this. It's been rumors in the media, and I I don't trust shit until someone I actually trust says it, not some random Yahoo. I mean, Shams or. Shams has been talking about it, and so but doesn't Shams have a doesn't Shams have a uh, he's gonna get clicks from doing it. I mean, he, he's I'm the, not gonna his wait. reputation is still on the line. Like, if he keeps throwing out bait that's not legit, he, whatever he starts posting, people are like, no, this is just like. I remember when Rick Buecher and Chris Broussard started doing that, and then now they don't get any clicks because what they say isn't worth anything. They were just fishing. So I do think these these sources like Mark Stein and Woj and Shams, they have to put out legit information because their their word is their bond. Like if they take well, a what if it's Jeremy Grant's guys that are saying it and not Cronin? I'm, I'm not worried about it until we figure out who we have. For I'm pick. just saying where there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire. And what I also am concerned that if you do trade for Jeremy Grant, you're going to have a starting lineup that's going to be in excess of a hundred million dollars. So you're just going to be, you know, cap strung as Again. well. But what if it was the same financial uh, difficulties will happen if we traded for somebody that you liked that is, if 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 that you know. if a player that is worthy of that contract to put your team over the top and get you into a conference finals or finals, you pay that luxury tax bill and you don't think twice. And I, I think actually Jody Allen would be on board with that. I, what I'm saying is Portland would essentially have an expensive roster that's not going to go to expensive places. You know, mm-hmm. they've. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely a possibility that all of this stuff that's being said is is you know, real talk, but until, until we're actually in a place to do it, I'm not wasting my energy thinking about Jeremy Grant on this team. It's just, I I feel like there's more factors that say he isn't a blazer than he is just because of competition. I mean, I hope for one that you are right. With end of the year interviews like what would you tell ants to improve on for next year defense he needs to go all out and be as he there's no reason for him not to be a solid defender given his his length he's never going and to athletic be athletic abilities yeah he's got athletic ability so yeah defense and aggressiveness like he's got so much bounce stop with all of these jumpers Yes, you're a great jump shooter, but we saw his numbers take a dip when that jumper fell off. Get to work on getting to the free throw line. Use again, get aggressive, just dunk on people. You are the 2021 that, NBA dunk champion. Do you think that that's just part of who he is, though? He's it not be. the most it, it absolutely it absolutely could be. And that's it's like a Lamarcus. You know, you could never get Lamarcus to just be aggressive for a whole season. He would go a month, and he I think he won like player of the month in 2011. Um, one of, and he was just dunking on people, like just getting in the post, turning like he was a monster. And then he just kind of reverted back to I'm gonna shoot fadeaway jumpers and pick and pop. And so it might be a mental thing with that. It, it could just be in his personality and his DNA. And I think that's that's a rough pill to swallow if you're thinking he's gonna be a star. Yeah, I think that that will deter him from being a star. Like you look at John Morant, he lives in the paint. He gets there. He has quickness and he finishes and he gets he gets to the line. Like he plays with an aggressiveness that 
I think his team feeds off of. Uh, that's one of the reasons that made Dame so great is that he's able to get to the line. If he's shooting poor, he can still go, you know, mm-hmm. 14 for 14 at the line and get, get you 30, even though he's not having a great shooting night. Um, I think if you're going to start Dame and Ant together, yeah, I think one of them's got to be able to start going to the lane and it doesn't need to be Dame because you got to preserve that body. He's 32 years old. You don't know how much uh, tread he's got left on those tires. You don't want him taking a ton of, of hits and bumps and bruises. So Ant's got to shoulder that load getting to the line and, and defensively. Like both Dame and Ant, I think if they want to play alongside each other, they want to make this work, they need to say, okay, we don't need to do everything offensively. We can exert more of our energy defensively because the, the team's not going to work until the point of attack guards learn how to keep somebody in front of them. Because you can't just say, Nurk, save, save us. That, that doesn't work. It gets him into foul trouble. It messes up the rotations. Like this team already showed, even at full strength this season, they they were no better under Stotts than they were uh, Phillips. Like they they just couldn't figure out their rotations. They, they did one strong hedge and then a couple passes beat them. So it all starts, you said this, it all starts point of attack. Anthony Simons needs to accept that challenge and maybe it's not mentally in him. Because, like, I think you need to be an aggressive player to be a great defender. I think that just – you look at Gary Payton, like, those type of defenders, they they want to stop you. They take pride in wanting to stop you, and I think there's just an aggressiveness. And I don't know if – I, I want to see that get just unlocked in Anthony. Like, he's already – If he hits his peak as a defender, I think he's going to be one of those point-of-attack defenders that's – I'm just not trying to fuck up. I'm not letting you pass me, and I'm not trying to fuck up. Like – I feel like Norman Powell is like that as a defender. Like I'm, I'm not trying to fuck up. That's that's my entire goal is not fucking up and letting you get ahead of me. Um, about the drives per game, Darius Garland, Malcolm Brogdon, and Trey Young get there 17 times a game, and I don't think any of those players have the athletic markers that uh, that uh, Ant has. So it, it's a desire to get to the rim. If I, I was to. To take I can't him speak to... for the others, but I know Trey Young just has a fuck you attitude. Like he he lives for that. Like he yeah, wants. But he's to... not the athlete that Ant is. He's not. That's what I'm saying. Like the attitude is what Trey Young has. Yeah, I think that he needs to play five on five, then three on threes, and work on his vision. There were times where let me just try and build the possession. It was the Lakers, and they were doing like a kind of matchup zone where Russell Westbrook was in the paint in the guy in the corner, I think it was Ben McLemore or uh, or, uh, Norman Powell, wide open the corner. Russ had no chance of getting it, and Ant just didn't see him, didn't pass it to him, and took a bad shot. I think there's reads that Ant has to make in where there's a pick and roll, but there's a guy in the corner as well where he can – it's one of three options. You take it, you take your pull-up, you pass it to the cutting man, or you pass it to the the corner-sitting three-point shooter. Like if we get Benedict Mathern – he and Ant after and pick and roll together forever. Just him spotting up for three. Because there's, I mean, like, if I can remember that play, there's so many others where he just misses the open corner shooter. So I, w- I would just run so many threes and fives. Just make sure he realizes that there's other options than just taking a bad spot up or taking a off the dribble three. Hmm. What about for uh, Josh Hart? What do you want him to do? 
it depends on his role, right? True. Like, is he going to be the starting two or is he going to have to be under an undersized three? I, I think the latter puts him at a disadvantage right off the bat, but I, I honestly want to see him start alongside whoever they, they want at, at point because he showed this year that he can be a much more productive player than maybe he was given credit for. Like he is a big guard. He's got a decent handle. Again, I, I think it really just starts with, with, with defense continued um, pr- progress on that end of the floor. Like you play defense, you get stops, you get on the break, you get easy buckets. It makes your offense so much easier. You tra- mm-hmm. Defense travels. A jump shot is going to go. It could be here today, gone tomorrow. But your defense sure. is should be consistent. And if you're going to be the, the starting uh, shooting guard, you should you we we should be able to feel confident that your man's not just going to light you up. Like they may have a good night, but they're, they're not just going to light you. Like you should be okay with that. And I think that's what makes – teams like the Bucks and the Suns so good is they have really good perimeter defenders that they just, you know, it's going to be a tough night. And I'm not saying Josh Hart needs to be Mikhail Bridges or Drew Holiday, but where Portland's coming from historically awful defensively, you need to start creeping your way into the top 15. And I think it, again, it starts with the guards. Like, again, you can't make Yusuf Nurkic do everything for you uh, defensively. So I, I agree with you on Josh, and it depends on what his role is. But I think that his athleticism and his heart, he can actually play the three in stretches. My yeah, in, last stretch, question, in stretches, I would have no problem. I just don't want to see that be his primary position. Yeah. I think the last question I have is, which draft pick will do the best with Yusuf Nurkic mentoring him? I feel like when Yusuf is at his best, he's being the big brother of a new incoming player. So who would be the best mentee for Yusuf's mentorship? Hmm. Like if Portland got the number one pick and yeah. picking the, the but Yusuf. Who, who, who would Yusuf benefit the most? Who has Yusuf mentored before? Josh Hart. Okay. I've, I feel like every new guy you see Yusuf bear hug and talk to. Yeah. I was just going back to like, you know, Ed Davis used to be our mentor and he was that for, for Zach Collins. And then obviously Dame clearly is. So I'm just, it's, it's hard because if the season goes bad, I feel like Nurk might, his attitude might go bad. So like, do I want him mentoring our, our young prospect? I think um, that was, I think anybody Yusuf is going to be the mentor. Maybe like, Chet. You think? Sure. Okay. I, I think which prospect do you think needs mentorship the most? As a big or as any position. I think Yusuf affects every player. Yeah, although I feel if Dame's still on the roster, Dame's going to gravitate towards the guard. But needs a mentorship the most. I don't know, I think I feel like everybody could use a, a good mentorship. I think the player who accepts the mentorship the best will thrive the most. So I mean I think that they all really could. I think you know Jalen Duran is super young. He could learn the ropes. Um, I think it's all about 
learning how to play both on and off the court too, like how, you, how you're handling yourself. I think the Blazers do a really good job of that. So that's probably a team effort. So I don't really see any of these prospects as like risks. Um, you don't think Paulo would use, could use. Maybe Paulo, I was going to say Paulo. And that's just, if he doesn't start playing like full throttle right off the bat, then, then that could probably be something. But, but again, I think that would come from Dane because I, I would, as a fan watching Yusuf, he's always been like, I don't know what Yusuf I'm going to get. So for Paulo, it, it would be be Dame. But if I'm like looking for someone to be like, don't take any shit from, it might be Chet. Like, I think that would be a good pairing. So I think Paulo for Dame, Chet for, for Yusuf. I feel like Dame would be best for AJ. I feel like mentorship from AJ or uh, Benedict would be the best for uh, for Dame to be a mentee. I think I, I don't know when I always see Yusuf and when he's at his best, he's he's being Uncle Yusuf to some player. So that's kind of what I was thinking. But we got to wrap it up soon. I have a three thirty. Do you have anything you want to talk about for this Blazers team, or do you want to wrap this bad boy up? No, it just uh, has been a trying season. I think both on and off the court for a lot of fans. Um, I sent out a tweet descri- describing, you know, the, the connection that, that I've felt has been lost. I think the organization has some making up to do. And it was, I was happy to see that I wasn't the only one feeling that way. And so I, I hope they, hope they figure their shit out because um, they let Neil Olshay do a lot of damage and mm-hmm. it, it would be nice to see um, some goodwill brought back to the fans and I, I'm, I'm just hoping we end up with, you know, two lottery picks and, and we build, build, build through the draft. And I, I'm, I, I'm excited for a future with, with the draft picks. Um, very skeptical if, if they try to, to win now. So that, that's where I'll, I'll leave my thoughts on, on this season yourself. Right. Um, it was, it was, it was a lot, but I'm glad that it's over. Um, next Friday, we'll have the, Ohio State players talk about them and we'll be back every week with draft coverage and uh, post-draft coverage talking about free agency. All right, everybody. I'm out of here. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!